tonight that faith will flourish in an understanding heart. Faith will flourish in an understanding heart. And that's been the title of our um, series now, I think, for the past oh, several weeks, maybe as many as nine or ten weeks. And we've been in this current uh, section a little longer than I thought we would be, but I believe it's, it's necessary. I believe it's important because it's, it's um, among other things, it, it's, it's giving us something to compare our understanding to. When we, you know, the, the Bible talks about the example that other people have, um, have set, those who have gone before us, and the, the fruits that they've experienced and enjoyed in their lives from God that we are to learn from their examples. And here we have a situation where um, really a stranger, uh, in, in the strictest sense of, of defining who he is, he's not a Jewish man. Um, he, he's a centurion. He's a, a Roman military official. Um, and yet um, he displayed faith on a level that, that Jesus marveled at, that, that Jesus said was... Um, the greatest example or display of faith that he had seen in all of Israel. And so this man may not be like a father Abraham for us to look at and learn from, but I believe, again, because of what he understood that caused his faith to flourish is something that we can look at and, and learn from. And so we've camped out here for a little while and we'll be here. I don't know, maybe we can finish this section tonight. If not, I believe we'll definitely get it finished up next week. But before I do that, and that's one of the reasons why we've been here a while is because we talk about some other things before we, you know, dive into these verses. Um, We're going to spend probably a Wednesday night or two on what we see about understanding in the book of Proverbs, specifically in Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs chapter 3, we're told to lean not on our own understanding. To lean not on our own understanding. So think about what he's saying there. That the life that God created us to live, we'll, we'll never get there. We'll never live it based on the way we understand. Um, this means, again, there is an understanding or a level of understanding that we need Um, to live the life God created us to live, but do not have. We have to get it from God. Um, So if we're not going to lean on our own understanding, this means that we need God's understanding. We need understanding from an outside source. And, of course, we see in Scripture, we've mentioned this a time or two already, uh, the Old Testament tells us to cry out for understanding. Um, The New Testament tells us, um, to, to, if we lack wisdom, uh, which is related to understanding, to uh, ask God for it. But then one of the great prayers that we find in the New Testament in Ephesians 1 is where we see Paul um, never ceased. He says, I, I never stop praying this prayer for you, for the church. And it was that we would have a spirit of um, wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Amen. That, 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 that our understanding would be um, illuminated um, by God. Um, we even see where the, the Bible says Jesus unlocked the disciples' ability to understand spiritual things. And so I just want to encourage you as, as you're praying for yourself and for your family, as you're praying for me and my family, 
as you're praying for our family of faith, as we pray for one another, let's make sure we put wisdom and understanding um, at the top or somewhere near the top of, um, of our list of things that we cry out to God for, um, that we make it a priority uh, because it is, again, so very, very, very important. All right, so faith will flourish in an understanding heart. Matthew chapter 8, let's begin at verse number 5. It says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a certain uh, a centurion rather came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, we have um, skipped over uh, a few verses here that I want us... um, to, uh, to look at. Verse 10, when Jesus heard it, um, we haven't skipped that one. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly I say to you, I've not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Uh, verse 11, I don't have these on a slide, but I just felt impressed this afternoon um, uh, to, to read these to you. And it says, and I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is he talking about here? Well, he's talking about the descendants of Abraham. He's talking about um, the Jewish people um, that had the gospel of the kingdom presented to them first. But we know that many of them rejected that message. Many of them said no to Jesus. Many of them um, did not recognize or accept him as the Messiah. And so when he says many will come from east and west, he's talking about outsiders. Again, the centurion was an outsider. The centurion was not a Jewish man. He was a non-Jewish man, yet he is revealing faith in Jesus that, that wowed Jesus and was greater than any faith he had seen among um, other Jewish men and women uh, in his time. And so Jesus then goes on to say, verse 13 to the centurion, go your way and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. And so we've been doing a deep dive into things that this centurion obviously understood because we have said over and over again that it was what he understood that enabled his faith to produce the results that it produced um, on uh, this particular occasion. And so I'm not going to review all the ones that we've looked at so far, but um, I want to just uh, real quick, um, we were here, this is where we finished last week in, in point number eight, and that is the centurion understood healing was based upon Jesus's goodness and not his own. That it, it wasn't about how good he was, but it was about how good God is. Amen. And, and this is a place where I think a lot of people get hung up, where a lot of people have issues in their understanding. Um, 
they think that in order for God to do something for them, that they have to be good enough to deserve it, or they have to be good enough to earn it. And clearly this centurion recognized that he did not deserve anything from Jesus. Jesus did not owe him anything, but he also recognized that that was not a factor. And so we see this, what I call a much more principle in different places in the scripture. I'm not going to turn to all those verses. We looked at them last week. But remember, Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more does your Father in heaven know how to and enjoy giving good gifts and good things to his children? So, you know, someone who, you know, maybe doesn't even know God, you know, live in a pretty rough uh, lifestyle, um, it's amazing how they still have a heart for their children how they still want to do good things for their children. And so if we can recognize that in in our hearts and in our lives, how much more then does our Heavenly Father want to do good things and desire to do good things in our lives? Now, let's go to the next point, uh, number nine. We're talking about things that the centurion um, understood, either based upon what he said or based upon uh, the way all this went down. And so, number nine, we see that the centurion understood that Jesus did not have to be physically present for his servant to be healed. Meaning what? Meaning Jesus' word was enough. Okay? So again, the centurion understood that Jesus did not have to be physically present for his servant to be healed. Jesus' word was enough. He didn't have to have Jesus physically present for his servant to be healed. All that he needed from Jesus was Jesus' word. Jesus' word was enough. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the scriptures, especially when I read the gospels, I like to try to um, imagine you know, I mean, what people looked like, what they were wearing, what the weather was like, what time of day this was. I like to try to get an image in my mind of these things. Now, you know, that that may be as futile as trying to imagine what, uh, you know, a place you're going on vacation that you've never been to looks like. Amen. But we do that, or at least I do that. I try to think about and picture it in my mind. And, and I think the Lord honors that, number one, because... You know, we're, we're recognizing that these things really happened and, and we, we're trying to, you know, be the fly on the wall, you know, we're to, to, to witness this, to watch this, to, you know, these people have names. We just know him as a centurion. He has a name. This is a real person. This happened. This really happened, right? And so, you know, to try to, to, to put myself, you know, there uh, in the crowd, you know, watching this and, and witnessing this, and, and thinking through and, and spending time meditating on these things. And I think one of the more astounding things in all of this is that Jesus was willing to go to this man's house and this man told him no. Matt and I were talking about this a, a, a few weeks back. Um, you know, like if Brother Copeland, um, uh, one of our heroes in the faith, if Brother Copeland was in town and he said, look, you know, I, 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 I'll come to your house and... and and, and pray for you or pray for, you know, some family member who's sick or, or, or some situation, right? 
You know, can you imagine saying, nah, Brother Copeland, you don't, you don't, you don't have to do that. Just, you just pray right now and, and, it, and it's fine, right? In, in other words, Jesus is coming to this man's house. What an honor. I mean, think about it. You know, sometimes I, and the Lord's helping with this, sometimes I get way more caught up in what I think other people will think than I should be, okay? But can you imagine, like, you know, he could have potentially offended Jesus. Oh, so you don't mean your house. Well, then just let your servant die then, you know? I mean, obviously he knew Jesus wasn't that kind of a person. But Jesus is like saying, I'll come to your house and heal him. And Jesus is like, uh, and rather the centurion is like, this, this is not necessary. Now, I believe more than anything else, this shows to us that this man had no doubt. Because I believe if there was the slightest um, doubt in his heart, he would have never told Jesus not to come to his house. You ever heard the expression, better safe than sorry? Right? It's like, well, look, I know your word's enough, Jesus, but if you're willing to come, it's better safe than sorry, right? You know, I mean, just in case you saying it won't, work just in case your word is not enough and you have to physically be there to heal him then come on you know and uh, and i'll send a messenger ahead and tell my wife to get the get the living room picked up you know before you get there or whatever but no he's like he was this i think reveals both his faith and his um uh the presence of his faith and the absence of his doubt he was so convinced that Jesus' word was enough that, it, that Jesus was, did not have to physically be present for him to be healed that when Jesus was willing to go to his house, was willing uh, to make that trip, um, he told him that it was not necessary, that all he needed was his word. Now, let's talk again then about the centurion's understanding because if the centurion, this was something that he would have done, if not on a daily basis, at least on a very regular basis. If the centurion, for example, was to have sent word for a garrison of troops to move from one town to um, a, an adjacent town, um, do you think that he personally went to see if his command was carried out? The answer is no. I mean... All the time, you know, he would have sent word to this group who was located here to move and go and, and, and relocate over there. And he would have done that over and over again, and he would have never went to see if they actually did what he told them to do. Because he knew that if he gave the command, that his command would be followed out, would be carried out. And so this was where his understanding of these things was formed. And so he knew that he was a man under authority, a man of authority. 
and that when he gave a command, it was carried out, and he didn't have to go behind uh, to make sure that it was. And so when Jesus says, I'll come to your house, he says, there's no need for you to come to my house. If you'll just say the word, um, it will be done. He knew, the centurion knew his word was enough to get the job done. He didn't toss and turn all night wondering, hoping uh, that those troops moved when he told them to move. He knew they moved. He believed it was as good as done the moment he spoke the word. As a matter of fact, when you understand the the position that this man had, he he was a very powerful man. Um, he his word carried a lot of weight, and so when he gave, we've talked about this earlier, so I don't want to go into a lot of detail here. But remember, he had all kinds of things to do that if he had to go and do them personally, um, he wouldn't get a third of the things you know, taken care of on a daily basis that he had on his plate to take care of. So he operated by speaking. And when he uh, gave command to someone under him, he went ahead and checked that off his list and went on to whatever was next, even though it was going to take maybe a few hours, maybe a day or two. Because remember, they didn't have cell phones and, and, and sophisticated communication like we have today. They didn't have airplanes or, or automobiles and, and things of that nature. Um, you know, if, if, it, if it involved uh, uh, troops that were maybe a two or three day journey away um, that he was giving command to, he would have sent word to those people. Um, but the minute he spoke the word, in his mind, that task has been completed, even though it hasn't even gotten to them yet that task is completed and he'll move on to something else you see this was his understanding was formed i even like the word forged his understanding was forged in this kind of environment in 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 this kind of uh you know authoritative system a man of authority a man under authority and so he recognized jesus as being a man under authority a man of authority and and so jesus's word was enough for him because he knew that his word was enough when he gave it um, to people who were under him. You still with me this evening? Now, I know that some of this is kind of faith basics, it's faith 101, but I think, again, it's important for you and me to come to terms with, you know, is Jesus' word enough for us or is it not? I mean, is, you know, if, if he says it, is that enough or do we need him to say it and do something else in order for it to come to pass? We, we find ourselves in the same place. You see, there are so many people, their understanding of, of God doing something in their life is that God's got to show up and show out, as you hear people say. It's not one of my favorite sayings, as many of you know around here. You know, that somehow God's got to show up and do it. Their understanding is if something's going to happen, God's got to show up and do it. And if he doesn't show up and do it, it's not going to happen. Now, again, there are probably people listening to me, hopefully not in this room, but if you're in this room and that's, that's where you are, then we're learning and growing together. But maybe somebody watching online or internet tonight, you know, you're, you're hearing this and you're like, well, what's wrong with that? You know, in other words, that's, that is the understanding that so many people have. It is an incorrect understanding. It is limited understanding at best. Amen. Are you, are you, are you following me? 
So let's go to it now um, in Romans, the 10th chapter. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 6. Amen. Romans 10 and 6. So think about again what this centurion understood. This centurion understood, Jesus, you do not have to show up at my house for this to be done. All you have to do is speak the word. Your word is enough. Your physical presence, you going and and touching them or speaking over them or laying hands on them or something like that, anointing, that's not necessary. You don't have to do that for my servant to be healed. Well, what if Jesus had have said, no, sir, you're wrong. If your servant's going to be healed, I'm going to have to show up and do it. If he was wrong, Jesus would have corrected him, right? If he was wrong, his servant would not have been healed by a spoken word. Jesus looked at him and was like, man, the faith. But it's, I keep going back to it. Yes, the faith, but the understanding that enabled the faith to flourish. This man understood things that not very many people understood, at least at this point. Because Romans 10 is not written yet. Okay? All right, what I'm fixing to show you hasn't been written yet. This man understood it before we had it in chapter and verse. But now we have it in chapter and verse. So Romans chapter 10, verse number 6. Listen very carefully. See if this compares to anything that we've talked about so far. It says, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart... Who will ascend, to ascend means to go up, who will go up into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above? Or who will descend, that means to go down, go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? Okay, let me keep going, we'll come back. Verse 8. But what does it say? He's saying that this is what it does not say. So what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So let's go back to the top. He says, but but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Now, listen to me very carefully. Let me give you a little general background before we go any further in this passage, okay? If you're going to operate and walk in faith, it's going to have to be translated into the way you speak. Faith people do not talk like other people on planet Earth. Are you hearing me? It's going to affect, it's going to impact the way you look at things, the way you say and speak and talk what you say and what you speak and and how you talk about things. Amen. Am I right about this? For instance, the Bible says that, that, that God is a God who calls things that be not as though they were. Okay? He calls things that be not, things that do not exist, things that have not yet changed as though they have already changed, as, those, as though they do exist. That's, that's in Romans, the fourth chapter. He calls things that be not as though they were. I keep getting prompted on this one. A lot of people hear this and they try to flip it. They try to say things 
that are and speak of them as though they be not. That's not what he said. He said he's, he calls things that be not as though they were. Not he calls things that are as though they be not. Okay? That's called denying. Somewhere along the way, um, we, we got this idea about how the righteousness of faith speaks as if we don't acknowledge there's a problem or an issue. Jesus never denied that a problem or an issue existed. He would downplay it where others were exaggerating it. He would make less of a deal out of it when other people were making a mountain out of a molehill out of it and making a big deal out of it. But he never denied the problem. He never said somebody who was blind, they're not blind. He never said somebody who was crippled that they're not crippled, okay? But he did say to the man who was crippled, take up your bed and walk. He even asked on occasion, what would you like for me to do for you? If it was wrong for them to say, hey, I'm blind and I, and I can't see and I would like to receive my sight, he would have never asked them a question with an obvious answer that they're about to speak the problem. So listen to me, please. I know that, you know, some of you have been around here for a long, long time, and, and it may sound like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. No, no, we, we're answer people. We focus on the answer. We speak the word of God. We speak the answer. Amen. But speaking the answer does not mean denying there is an issue or a problem. Amen. Faith is not afraid of your problems. So he says the righteousness of, of, of faith speaks in this way. This is how someone who's been made righteous by faith, this, this is how we talk. We do not say, he's going to tell you how we don't speak first. We do not say in our heart, who's going to go up to heaven and bring Jesus down from above to get him to fix this for me? Do you see this? People who have been made righteous by faith, there's a lot that's implied there. If if you've been made righteous by faith, this means that you've been born again. This means that you've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. This means the spirit of living God now lives inside of you. This means that Jesus said you would speak with new tongues. You would cast out devils. You would lay your hands on the sick and the sick would recover. This means that you have become one with God. You have become a member of the body of Christ. You have received a commission. You have received an an anointing. You have received an empowerment to go and do the works that Jesus did here upon this planet. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are generation Christ. And you are picking up the ministry platform of Jesus and you are going forth into the earth to finish what he started in human form on this planet. When we talk about the righteousness of faith, it's, it's covering a lot here. It's talking about, again, someone who's been born again. And born again, people shouldn't talk like people who have not been born again. So he, say, he says, don't, don't say in your heart, if this is ever going to change, Jesus, you're going to have to come down here and change it. If this is ever going to be fixed, you're going to have to come down here and fix it. If this is ever going to be moved, Jesus, you're going to have to come down here and move it. Did he not teach you and me to speak to the mountain? Did he say, ask me to come move the mountain for you? Or did he say, speak to the mountain, do not doubt in your heart, and watch the mountain move? Do you see the difference there? 
This is another one of those big, big areas where people are off in their understanding. This idea that if Jesus doesn't come down here and do it, it can't be done. It won't be done. What they really, what they're really saying, and they may not understand, is what they're really saying is, Jesus, your word is not enough. Or, who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. So, you have to watch this one right here, because it's real easy to think this somehow doesn't apply to the way you understand things. Because, again, we believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so, at first glance, you think this would be someone who believes that Jesus died, and when he died, um, all the miracles died with him. And that if there's ever going to be a miracle again, we've got to have Jesus back from the dead, but Jesus has not been raised from the dead. Now, there are a lot of people who look at it that way and who think that way, okay? But let me tell you how this understanding or incorrect understanding would apply to us. Romans 6 makes it very clear. When Jesus was raised up from the dead, we were raised up together with him to newness of life. So the idea that he's been raised from the dead means that we've been raised from the dead with him. And because we've been raised from the dead with him, we are now representing him here on this planet. As he is, so are we in this world. We are the body of Christ. He is the head of the body. He's the head. We're the body. He is the head. We're the body. He's now working in the earth through his body. So how does it speak? What does it say? Verse 8, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So what is he saying here? He's saying you don't need Jesus to come do it for you. You don't need him to come down from heaven to do it for you. You don't need him to rise from the dead to do it for you. He's already risen from the dead. He's already done it for you. What is his resurrection? In other words, think about this, the resurrection part. Think about all that his resurrection means. It means that he defeated death. It means that he overcame uh, uh, death, hell, and the grave. It means that he defeated um, the devil and every demon in hell. He made a show of them openly. He stripped them of their power and authority. And, and remember, now that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, he then turned around and gave that authority and power to you and me. But to act like we don't have it is to act like Jesus didn't raise up from the grave. I got the right bunch tonight. Y'all with me? Okay, amen. All right, give me a minute or two. We'll, we'll, we'll land the plane, all right? So let's go back to it. The righteousness of faith speaks in this way. This is what it doesn't say. Remember now, words are an expression of what? Understanding. Someone who would say, we need Jesus to come down here and do this for us, is revealing how they understand things to work. 
Now, listen to me, please. I'm, I'm not saying that we can somehow do this without him. But to say that we need him to come and do this for us is clearly communicating a lack of understanding what he has already done for us, what he's already given to us, what he's already put in place and made available for us. This is why the scriptures say, by his stripes you were healed. I'm not saying we can be healed without Jesus. But if our understanding of it is he's got to come and do it, it's clearly, uh, it's very evident that we don't understand what he's already done. He doesn't need to come do it for us because he's already came and done it for us. Does that help? Okay. So what does it say? By the way, all of these verses, we're not going to take the time to go look at them. All of these verses are being quoted from the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit, um, he, he was a, a, a master of doctor, if you will, of the Old Testament. And you see him, as well as other you know, New Testament writers, but the Apostle Paul, more than the others, um, taking from the Old Testament and bringing it over into the New. And so these are things that um, are taken from a conversation Moses had with the children of Israel when you know, they're talking about, well, you know, where is the Word of God? How are we to know? And this and that. And, and Moses is like, you know, they were saying, this, we got to cross the ocean, we got this, we got that. And Moses is like, no, no, no. The Word of God is right here. It's right here among you. But see, for you and me, the Word of God is near to us in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith which we preach. How many people today understand, talk, and pray as if they're waiting for Jesus to come fix for them what He's already fixed? waiting for Jesus to do for them what he's already done. How many people today understand, talk, and pray like Jesus was not raised and as if they were not raised with him? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13, it says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I believe it's in, I don't have the passage right in front of me, but I want to say it's in 1 Peter where he talks about things that angels long to look into. And and what he's talking about there is this great love and, um, man, I don't mean it in a negative sense. I mean, no disrespect, but it's, this, it's like an obsession that Father God has with us. Remember, when Lucifer fell, we have no record of God even asking him if he wanted to come back. When Adam fell, he sent Jesus to die for us just to give us the option to come back. 
And, and it causes angels to kind of scratch their head. They're like, I've used this example before. It's kind of like if you have a friend that, you know, is in love with, with, with another person and you don't really see what they see in them. <laughs> that may be an extreme way of doing it, but it's almost like, you know, the angels are like, you know, they rebel against you, they deny you, they forget about you, they do their own thing, and you just keep loving them and keep going after them and keep, you know, and the angels are kind of like, okay, God, we'll, what you, whatever you say, we'll do it, you know, it's like, but they long to look into it. It's, it's like, this doesn't make a lot of sense to them. And in that same vein, listen to me very carefully, now, in that same vein, because the angels, right, they have a different perspective than we have. They know that if you can just get God to say it, it's done. It's like they know. And the fact that we sometimes question or doubt something that he said, it's like inconceivable to them. It's like, you, you guys, you don't understand. The most powerful thing is the word of God is you know, he has spoken some things about you, which means it's a done deal if you just believe it, right? And so I think this is another one of those areas of understanding that put the centurion's faith at such a high level. It's because I believe maybe for the first time in Jesus' entire stay here on earth, he found somebody who said, you know, and, and recognized and believed that all that was needed in that situation was his word. Amen. Listen to me, please. All that's needed in your situation is God's word. Amen. See, if, 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 if you're waiting for him to come do something for you, he's already done. It's a lack of understanding that's that's acting like a wet blanket on your faith. Amen. Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for showing us. Thank you for helping us. Father, I, um, I know that you have directed us to this subject for this season. Father, that you are speaking to us, that you are wanting to reveal to us areas in our own individual hearts where our understanding is hindering the faith that you gave to us that faith's ability to produce results, needed results in our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you for revealing your truth to us. Father, we cry out for understanding. We ask you for wisdom. We pray for the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened, that you would give to each and every one of us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that we may know, Father, that we may know the things that you created us to know, to live the life that you created us to live. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here this evening. You have a blessed rest of your week. We will see you Sunday morning, if not before. Amen. Good things.